0: Coming up today on The Science Revolution is the real science of Santa Claus. Would you believe it if I told you that Santa was on a psychedelic high? Plus, Ron Jackson is here about the carbon project you should know about. Behold the Trump crime family's disrespect of life and humanity and geeky science. And don't miss the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. Plus, the fact of the week, the end of fish. Stay tuned. So let's talk the real science of Santa Claus. The guy in the red suit with the pointy hat, the white furry trim, and the tall black boots with the eight flying reindeers and the bag of goodies. It goes back to a group of indigenous Arctic Circle dwellers, the Kamchateles and the Koryaks of Siberia, specifically. But it's actually all the way around the North Pole. We've had Steve Larsen on this program before talking about the native people of Finland as well. So Santa really does come from the North Pole. On the night of the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, a Koriak shaman would gather hallucinogenic mushrooms called Amanita muscaria, or fly agaric in English is how we call them. These are the red mushrooms with white spots. Starting to see a parallel here. The shaman would hang them on the lower branches of pine trees to dry them out before taking them home back to the village. Or alternatively, he could take them in and put them in a sock and hang the sock over the fireplace to dry them out socks and fireplaces. The problem with fly agaric, or Amanita muscaria mushrooms, is that they are poisonous. In addition to getting you high, they contain a poison. And so the way that they would get rid of the poison is they would feed them to reindeer. Reindeer love these things. And their livers have an enzyme that breaks down and detoxifies the poison in this mushroom, but does not break down the hallucinogen, which I believe is dimethyltryptamine, DMT, in the mushroom. And so the shaman would feed the mushrooms to the reindeer and then follow them around until they peed, and gather up that yellow snow, and they'd eat or drink the yellow snow as part of a religious ritual. The reindeer, by the way, love these mushrooms. They eat them whenever they can. When a shaman went out to gather the mushrooms, he would wear a red outfit with white trim or white dots on it in honor of the mushroom's colors. He'd gather the tree-dried fly agarics and some reindeer urine in a large sack, and then go back to the yurt, which was the traditional form of housing for people in that region at that time, where the villagers would gather for the solstice ceremony. But how did he get in? Well, the yurts, these are round houses, and they're covered with snow, but they do have a hole at the very top for the fire exhaust, the smoke to go out, and that's how you get in and out of a yurt in the winter. So he would go down the chimney with his sack full of reindeer urine or a sack full of mushrooms, slide down that central pole to give them to them. When you take this stuff, when you take dimethyltryptamine, DMT, it's a hallucinogen like LSD, and it makes you feel like you're flying. And the reindeer get really frisky, too, from eating this stuff, and they kind of look like they're flying. And one part of the legend is that when the shaman took the fly agaric, took this mushroom, or the reindeer urine, that the shaman and the reindeer together would fly to the North Star and get the gifts of knowledge, which they would then bring back and share with the community. That tradition then was carried down to Great Britain by the ancient Druids, and the stories got mixed up with Germanic and Nordic myths, and came over here with English settlers, and we had Turkish St. Nicholas. But even by the 1930s, there was no consensus about Santa Claus. In fact, most Americans didn't use Santa Claus in any way in celebration of Christmas. That came about with Clement clark moore's famous poem a visit from saint nicholas and then in the 1930s the thing that really kicked off santa as we modern as we know him in modern times was the coca-cola company and they did an ad they made santa fat up until that point santa's had been characterized as skinny so amazing stuff absolutely amazing stuff yes the true science of christmas is that jingle bells that's that's great thank you sean So is the world blowing past its carbon budget? It certainly seems so. Professor Rob Jackson is on the line with us. He's the chair of the Global Carbon Project and a professor at Stanford University's School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences, professor with the Earth Systems Science at Stanford. Globalcarbonproject.org is the website. And the Twitter handle is Stanford Earth, at Stanford Earth. Professor Jackson, welcome to the program. I understand that we kind of flattened out for a few years our planet wide use of carbon, but over the last few years we've gone back to increasing the amount of carbon we're burning every year when in fact the not just the paris accord but you know going back a number of years the scientists of the world have been saying no you can't continue to grow uh, carbon emissions and you can't even plateau it you've got to actually reduce it do i have that right and what are the numbers like where are we at
1: well that is right tom we had a period from 2014 to 2016 or so where where global emissions were almost flat at the same time that the world's economies grew and that was the first time really that that had happened but starting 2017, 18, and now 19, emissions are back up. And this year, they're being driven primarily by an increase in natural gas use globally. Gas, natural gas use is surging. Oil use continues to climb steadily. And the only fossil fuel showing a hint of a decline is coal. And you see that particularly in the United States and Europe, where we're replacing coal capacity with gas, the renewables, and energy efficiency. So that's a good news part of the story.
0: I saw a, uh, an article over in Common Dreams this morning saying that over the last three years, U.S. financial institutions have underwritten, as I recall, it was, I don't have it in front of me, $700 million worth of new coal-fired power plants around the world. Are we going in the wrong direction? Are there serious efforts to take us in the right direction? And to what extent does this have to do with political consensus, political actions in the United
1: States or around the world, or technology? <laughs> So yes and yes, you know, we are going the wrong direction in terms of total emissions. I think it's more complicated, though. I mean, you can look at a country like India that's building both coal and renewables very rapidly. You, know, you have 300 million people there who lack access to reliable electricity. I mean, those folks need power, and they need it soon. So it's hard to fault a country like India, where a person uses one-fifth to one-sixth what you or I use on average, and a lot less than someone in Europe or China. At the same time, China's emissions are going back up strongly this year, driven by oil and natural gas use in particular. And here in the U.S., I mean, coal is down 10 percent this year. That's remarkable. But natural gas use is growing. Oil use is growing. So while we're down a little bit over the last couple of years, we're we're almost even. So there are good things happening here. They just they just aren't happening fast enough, really, to do what we need, and especially so around the world. So what do we need to do? What would you suggest if you were king of the world? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Everyone would do something different. I'll, I'll give you a few of my priorities. I mean, first of all, we need to close the deal on the electricity sector. We need to decarbonize electricity. Wind and solar are now fuels of choice because of low price. If we build more natural gas, let's combine it with carbon capture and storage to keep those emissions from heading into our air. Even nuclear is being built around the world as a carbon-free fuel. So I think we need every arrow in our quiver. The tough sector is transportation. Air traffic's going up 5% a year. There are more cars being put on the road. There are 140th, you know, the number of cars per person in India is in the U.S., one-fifth in China. So as those countries' middle classes grow, they're buying more vehicles. Those vehicles need to be electric. They need to be coupled to carbon-free electricity. And then we need to do some things less. We need to walk, bike more, uh, consume less energy in some cases, take public transport, even change diets. Everybody can do maybe a little bit of a different set of things, but ultimately we need them all, and we need them fast. Yeah,
0: I saw a a documentary over on Netflix that Arnold Schwarzenegger produced. It's called Game Changers, and it's about a vegan diet. They make a point toward the end of it that, as I recall, almost a quarter or maybe a fifth of worldwide global carbon emissions tie right back into animal agriculture. Is that what you were talking about when you said change diets?
1: Two things really about beef-based diets. And it doesn't have to be going vegan. Uh, It just means eating less meat protein. But the cattle industry in this country is is using rangeland for the most part. It's it's already grassland. But in Brazil, it's swapping forest land for grassland to raise cattle on. And those cattle are one of the biggest sources of methane emissions around the world. So about a fifth of, of global methane emissions come from ag and cows in particular. So it really does make a difference. Not everybody has to become a vegan. But what we do, the choices we make individually, really do matter. Professor Jackson, where are the real pressure points
0: technologically that you see emerging? I mean, are there any technologies that are like just on the
1: verge that you're very hopeful about that could move us forward? Well, I'm hopeful about a number of things. First of all, pricing of renewable solar in particular. I mean, people are choosing and companies are choosing solar based on price now, not based on climate concerns. Uh, We have opportunities down the road, not immediately, but to couple excess solar capacity, even to produce natural gas or hydrogen. We need to do a lot more on carbon capture and storage. We're building natural gas plants here and elsewhere around the world. Those plants will be churning out pollution in 40 years, so we need to couple those with carbon capture and storage. Super excited about the electric car growth. Let's be honest. I mean, a lot of the people in the world won't be able to afford electric cars for a while. If I could have people see one thing, it would be the benefits of green energy. They go far beyond climate. You know, The two biggest sources of mortality of deaths from air pollution in this country are coal and cars. Those are tens of thousands of people every year, millions of people around the world. So when we swap to green energy we save lives from air pollution when we don't burn oil and import oil from opec we make our country stronger more nationally secure we improve our balance of trade there are so many benefits to green energy that go far beyond climate i think those benefits should resonate with republicans and democrats professor rob jackson the chair of the global carbon project globalcarbonproject.org
0: also a professor at stanford university last question what if we don't do anything? We're, you know, Global emissions are increasing at over 1%, I believe, right now. I think 1.7% is the number six in my head, correct me if I'm wrong, last year. If we continue on the path that we appear to be on right now, where will we end up, and within what time frame?
1: Well, the honest answer is we aren't sure. I mean, emissions globally were up about 2% last year, another half to 0.6% this year. I mean, we do know that this isn't about our grandchildren, and look at what's happening to the earth now. We are in the process of melting the North Pole in summer, having it be ice-free, possibly in, in, even in our lifetimes, and certainly our children's lifetimes. We're killing the Great Barrier Reef. Right here in the United States, we are seeing amazing changes in our weather. Storms are getting stronger. Our droughts are getting stronger. The western U.S. is seeing just an amazing increase in the number of fires. We're paying for this right now. You know, 2017, we paid, what, $300 billion for natural disasters in this country, that was 100 billion more than we had ever paid before. This is right now. This isn't some nebulous time in the future. Yeah, Professor Jackson, thanks so much for dropping by. It's been great talking with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tom. Professor Rob Jackson. The website is globalcarbonproject.org. The Twitter handle is Stanford Earth. He is the chair of the Global Carbon Project and professor of Earth Systems Science at Stanford University School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences. Sponsoring the interview this week is New Leaf Natural CBD oil. Boy, with all this impeachment stuff and Trump treason flying around, you know, I have been doubling my CBD oil dose. I love CBD oil. It doesn't get you high, and it's non-toxic, but it's a potent pain reliever and anti- or it has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties, I think is the proper way to say that. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. NU Leaf Natural CBD Oil is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, has no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to NewLeafNaturals.com. That's NULeafNaturals.com and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S., when you use the code TOM, it's spelled T-H-O-M. Go to N-U-LeafNaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, NewLeafNaturals.com. That's Newleafnaturals.com. That's nu Code TOM, it's spelled T-H-O-M. NewLeafNaturals.com. So here we are in a time when wildlife populations are crashing around the world. Endangered species are trembling on the edge of extinction. The entire web of life is at risk. And the son of the president of the United States, Donald Trump Jr., goes to Mongolia to shoot an endangered species. It's the largest sheep in the world. It's got six foot long horns. He shot this thing illegally. And so the country, after he met with the president of Mongolia, which, by the way, receives millions of dollars in aid from the United States, gave him a retroactive permit, which is, uh, shall we say, highly unusual. The Trump crime family's disrespect of humanity and their disrespect for life on Earth is so complete and so breathtaking, it's almost cartoonish. You know, Trump tweeted out that picture of himself as, what, Thanos, I think it is, the the evil guy who's going to destroy half of all life in the universe? They're behaving like bad cartoon characters. The first family is supposed to set an example, both for the country and for the world, both of respect for life and for the rule of law. And this first family, a group of grifters with a well-established and lengthy criminal history, BuzzFlash.com, has the story about how all three of the Trump kids had to attend court-ordered sessions. On how not to commit fraud with a charity, uh, shall we say, Uday, Kuse, and Ivanka <laughs> had to had to go to court ordered training. I mean, this is a disgrace. This is terrible, right? How can how can how can America stand as any kind of example to the world? How do we do that? This is just so. Breathtaking. That music can only mean one thing. Time for the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly, the good. Denmark for planning artificial wind farm islands that could power over 10 million homes. In 2018, Denmark produced 41% of its energy from wind power, the highest level in Europe. Denmark recently passed an ambitious Climate Act, which will cut greenhouse gas emissions to uh, by 70% from the 1990 levels by 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. 2050. Wow, is all I can say. The bad. President Trump for making weird, not true statements about water-efficient toilets. People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times. It isn't clear what standards President Trump was talking about or what exactly he asked the EPA to look into. However, he also suggested that most states have a water surplus that make low-flow toilets and sinks unnecessary, which is also not true and very bad. And the very, very ugly right-wing Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro. He is angry that 16-year-old Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg is speaking out for indigenous rights, so he called her a brat. Thunberg had tweeted a response to the killing of two indigenous leaders in northeast Brazil. She said, indigenous people are literally being murdered for trying to protect the forest from illegal deforestation. Over and over again, it is shameful that the world remains silent about this. But wait, there's more. Indigenous communities in the Amazon are regularly threatened by illegal miners or loggers, and Bolsonaro has said he will open more indigenous territories to extractive industries. Killing indigenous leaders to take their land is colonialism, and that is very,
1: very ugly.
0: You need to know this. Our oceans are dying. This is a new report that was just issued Saturday at the annual Global Climate Talks in Madrid. 67 scientists in 17 countries worked on this for several years and found that the oxygen levels in the world's oceans have declined by roughly 2% between 1960 and 2010. It's called deoxygenation and it's largely attributed to climate change, although it's exacerbated by what's called nutrient runoff, which is factory farming using massive amounts of fertilizer, and that stuff ends up just you know, pouring into the oceans. At the same time, we've got a new report that the Arctic is being transformed as a consequence of climate change. Climate change is transforming Arctic ecosystems in unprecedented and troubling ways, impacting local wildlife, threatening not just indigenous populations who live around the Arctic, but communities around the world. This is from the 14th annual Arctic Report Card compiled by more than 80 scientists with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association. They note the permafrost continues to thaw, potentially releasing up to 600 million tons of carbon into the atmosphere every year, which will make our weather more extreme. And some fish populations in the Bering Sea, which supplies 40 percent of the American seafood catch, have begun to migrate north, where we may not be able to catch them as the waters warm, which is threatening the food webs. And finally, the United States has 95,000 miles of shoreline This is what's referred to sometimes as the blue economy, fishing, ocean farming, shipping, tourism and recreation. And Senator Elizabeth Warren has rolled out a Blue New Deal for our oceans. The Green New Deal pretty much ignores the oceans. And so she's suggesting that we should restore and protect coastal ecosystems, invest in renewable offshore energy and good jobs. This for good jobs in the blue economy. We only have one offshore wind farm in the entire United States. Denmark, for example, got 44 percent of their entire power from wind farms last year. And we don't need new technologies to do this. We can start right now. Her plan proposes ending offshore drilling, streamlining permitting for offshore wind while making sure that this benefits local communities, increasing protections for coastal ecosystems, sequestering carbon and buffering the impacts of sea level rise and storms. This is in line with NOAA's Coastal and Estuary Land Conservation Program. She wants to expand that, creating a domestic blue carbon program to value carbon sequestration and expanding marine areas, and support the scaling of regenerative ocean farming of seaweed and shellfish to both absorb carbon and to provide high quality, nutritious food for human beings. And then finally, she wants to take on the big polluters such as the petrochemical industry and big ag that are badly polluting our oceans and shrink production and expand recycling of single-use plastics. A lot there to take in, but we're experiencing a crisis right now. That's it for today's science revolution, and remember, change begins with you. Tag your it.